You're listening to the My Victory Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to My Victory Church, one church in five physical locations. So let's welcome everyone that's joining us right now in Lloyd Minster with Pastor Mike and Carol. Welcome to you guys. Welcome everyone that's joining us in Tabor with Pastor Renee and Jill. Welcome to you guys. Welcome Lethbridge with Pastor Ralph and Cindy. Uh, Claire's home with Pastor Brian and Heidi and Okotoks with Pastor Joel and Tanisha. And today, funny enough, from our sixth location, which is my home. Here's what's happened this week and why I'm not uh, with you and not at the church today as well. This week, I ended up being a close contact with somebody who the next day tested positive for uh, COVID-19. And so I have been in isolation and quarantining since then. I did go and get tested this week and the test, thank God, came back uh, negative. However, I'm still uh, being asked by AHS to isolate and quarantine. So, hey, welcome to my home. And I uh, so wish I could be with you guys today. Um, We are in part two of a series we started last week called Fill in the Blank. And I know it's created a lot of discussion um, in your in the connect groups and a lot of discussion in our, our teams and probably in families and homes. And really, this is a vital uh, series for our church. It's a vision series, but it's also just kind of setting us up and saying, hey, what is the church going to look like post COVID and, and the post pandemic? And, and where do we need to go from the future? And I think we need to take this time as a church to really evaluate who we are as Christians, who we are as a church, and and really begin to say this is a time for us to reset and to look forward to what the next season is in the church. And I really do believe that the best is yet to come, but there are some things that we are wanting to just reevaluate and make sure that we are on mission, on track, and doing what Jesus really wanted us to do when he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Are we the church he's building? Well, we took out this Facebook ad and last week we looked at, you know, uh, the first result of it. We took out this this Facebook ad that said Christianity is and we had asked people to fill in the blank. And we, if, if you weren't here last week, you're going to want to go back, watch that message and see some of the results from that one. Well, we also took out an ad uh, that, that was fill in the blank and it said, Jesus is, and then fill in the blank from there. So here are some of the results that we had come back. These are real, again, results that came back from people who commented and and filled in the blank, Jesus is. And and here's what some of them said. They said, Jesus is still better than Muhammad. Okay. Uh, Jesus is a fairy tale about a zombie that rose from the dead. Uh, cool analogy. Uh, interesting. Okay. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is don't care. And I kind of chuckled at this one because if you really don't care, uh, you yet still took the time to write that out on our ad. I, I, anyway, I just found that a little bit ironic, but they that's what they their opinion is. They Jesus is don't care. Jesus is life everlasting, a true father figure, friend, uh, and more phenomenal than Satan or his fallen demonic angels and followers. Okay, Jesus is, this one is interesting, if Jesus was not the Son of God, then does that not make his accomplishments even greater? 
Yes, good point. Um, Jesus is the world's first zombie. Jesus is a man. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is a joke. Uh, Jesus is the world's greatest magician and con man. LOL. Okay, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Jesus is good. Jesus is fake. Jesus is not real. Jesus is imaginary. Jesus is the manifestation of delusional minds, uh, which this fake, not real, imaginary, I just, I think people maybe should look up history, not just, not just because what's in the Bible, but look up Roman history, look at history in the time, there's actually more evidence that Jesus lived than Julius Caesar, for instance, um, but that, that's people's opinions, that's fine, and then Jesus is my everything. What I found interesting about you know, Christianity is versus Jesus is, is that when it came to Christianity is, we were hard pressed to find anybody, you know, responding in a positive way. Yet when it came to, you know, filling in the blank for Jesus is, we're hard pressed and you just saw them all. We're hard pressed to find somebody saying something really derogatory or negative about Jesus other than, I mean, the worst thing that they can possibly say is, well, he's, he's a zombie, okay. Are they referencing the fact that he came back from the dead? Are they, uh, you know, what, what, or they're saying that he's not real or that he's fake, and that's the worst that they can come up with. And I thought that's interesting. I mean, Jesus is a controversial, always has been. That's not new. He was then. He he is now. But it's interesting that it's difficult to find people to really come after and and spew the hatred toward Jesus that they did towards us as Christians. And, and I think that's interesting. Why do you think that is? Aren't Christians supposed to be following Jesus? In fact, you know, I'll take it a step further. The word Christian means Christ-like. And, and so aren't we supposed to be like Jesus? And yet people find it so easy to hate us and, and to come after us, but yet it's more difficult to come after Jesus, even now, thousands of years later. Could it be that we aren't as Christ-like as we all think we are. I know that's an ouch, but hold on. I, I want to show you, and I want to talk about today a major way that Jesus is different from us. And this might be a bit of a surprise for some of you. You might not have seen this before, but I really want to do a deep dive in one of the major differences between Jesus and us as Christians. And if you're joining us today and you're not yet a Christian, this might be uh, enlightening for you as well. But I'm going to be talking to, to us as Christians because I happen to, as one, I'm happy, I got challenged in these fill-in-the-blank things. I got challenged in going, it's easy for people to hate me or to come after me because I'm a pastor or I'm a Christian, but yet still respect my Savior. And I'm supposed to be, as a Christian, I'm supposed to be following, living like Jesus, representing Him. So here's what made Jesus different than than all of us, than even us as, as Christians today. And I think if we, if we find this, it might help us shift some of our mindsets as well and become more like Him and become more effective as Christians and as a church. Now, here's, here's what the major difference. And if you're a note taker, you might want to take notes in this one. And I definitely want you to discuss this further and dive into this a little bit more. But here's one of the, the major differences. Have you noticed that society is ever dividing into 
two camps. I mean, every day, everybody seems these days to be dividing into their into their different camps, and it's just getting you know worse and worse. So whether you're conservative or liberal, whether you're LGBTQ or straight, whether you're Democrat or Republican, whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, whether you're uh, Jedi or Sith, whether you're Euler or Flame. I'm sorry, Pastor Mike, um, but yeah, we're in Alberta, and so it's Oilers and Flames, and I don't know that there's enough Canuck fans to justify an own camp. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we, we do have camps, and we, we're a society. We're continually dividing one camp in the other. And we see this as social media kind of accentuates that and, and people are automatically assuming, you know, by someone's post or, or you know, assuming camps. And, and there's, you know, all this, this formatting that's going on within Facebook and, and social media where they will actually feed you information they'll determine based on your profile and what you read and what you observe and what you like they'll determine which camp you're in and they'll feed you more of that camp. I mean, it's so that only, you know, you're, we're only listening now and watching what is already who we agree with in our camps. And we're seeing this, you're seeing this on the media, you're seeing this everywhere. We're seeing people continue to divide. You might be interested to know, and what this has to do with Jesus is you might be interested to know that Jesus divided people into two camps as well. And I know, I know what you were, some of you are thinking, you're thinking, well, I know, that's one of the major problems with the world today is religion's created a lot of issues in our world. And, and religion has been one of the big dividing Christian or Muslim or, you know, Sikh and, and Hindu. Like well, there's, there's these divides and you're right about that. But the camps that religion divides people in are not the same as the camps that Jesus did. And in fact, Jesus did the opposite of what the religious of his day did. And he. He's really doing the opposite of what we're seeing in society today. And I think one of the reasons, you know, this is one of the major reasons why people are hard pressed to come after Jesus, but they're so easy to come after us. Because one of the big difference between us as Christians who are supposed to be Christ-like is that we act like most religions and divide people into camps. And we divide people into camps of Christian or non-Christian, righteous or or sinner, we're like we, and we divide into these camps. We're you know insider and outsider, you know um, us and and them, and this is not how Jesus did. It. Now he had two camps, but this is not how he divided. So according to Jesus, there is only two types of people, and and you know and we can say you know Republican or Democrat, liberal, conservative you know, LGBTQ or straight, all these things, we can say those things, but they're really, according to Jesus, there was only two camps and he lived at, and ministered in this way. And this is the, the two camps that Jesus identified. And we're going to pull this apart in the next few minutes. But he said, he said this, those who know they are sinners, that's one camp, those who know they are sinners and those who think they are righteous. Those are the two camps. Those who know they are sinners and the other camp is those who think they are righteous. Notice the emphasis on the word think. They think they are righteous. Let me show you what I mean and, and how, this, how I can say this confidently about Jesus and why I think even today people don't hate Jesus. They hate Christians. 
And I think one of the reasons why people still respect Jesus, whether they believe him or believe in him or not, is because of the fact that Jesus refused to become like every other religious leader and divide people into camps other than the two types of people, those who are, know they're sinners and those who think they are righteous. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at this. Matthew chapter 9 is a story written by uh, Matthew, one of Jesus' followers. And this is the story actually of, of how he came to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to pick it up in, in verse 9. Matthew wrote this. He says, as, as Jesus went out uh, you know, on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, what's amazing about this story is we can read this and miss all the connotations of, of just what is so powerful in this one verse because we're not as familiar culturally with how big of a deal it was that Jesus, number one, had a conversation with a tax collector in this way. And that number two, without any you know resume or requirements or, or anything, uh, he asked Matthew to become one of his disciples and follow him just in, just in a simple exchange. Now, the fact that Jesus was talking to a tax collector was, was remarkable because in those days, tax collectors, they weren't even counted among the sinners. They were worse. Tax collectors in that day were, were traitors. See, they were Jewish people who were hired by the Roman oppressor. So Rome came and conquered Jerusalem and Israel. And the peak of his empire, he kind of controlled it all in the entire region. And, and Rome would hire Jewish people to collect taxes from their own people and in order to pay taxes to, to Caesar. So to a Jewish person, a tax collector was a traitor. They worked for their enemy. They would, you know, they, and they would um, collect taxes for Caesar, but they were a Jew. So they were upset about that. But then tax collectors, on the other hand, they were even worse than that, is that Rome would say to the tax collector, we need this much from each person. The ta and, they, and they would say to the tax collector, you, whatever you collect above and beyond that is yours to keep. So these tax collectors would, would you know, rob people blind and, and say, this is what Caesar's requiring and would be backed up by the Roman um, centurions that people if pay or be killed or be punished or lose everything that you have. And, and the Jews would, you know, would take this from the people and rob them blind and then become rich off of that. So they were the hated of the hated, despised of the despised. They were, they were the camp, the worst in society. And the fact that Jesus, a rabbi, would talk to Matthew in the first place is remarkable. But then he says, follow me. You're like You're going to take a tax collector and make him one of your inner circle? Come on. And, and everybody watching would have, I, I can imagine just the scene, it would have been maybe a buzz and Jesus walks up to the table and people are thinking, what's he doing? And then they're overhearing and they hear him say, follow me. Everything would have went silent. It would have been so absolutely shocking. But that's not where Jesus stopped. Look at this. In verse 10, Jesus said this now, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, wait, not only did he say, follow me. Jesus in, in turn says, hey, let's go to your house and, and let's, I want to come to your house and let's have a meal. Jesus walks into the home of tax collector, which today having somebody over for dinner, that's a big deal. Yet in those days, that is a major deal. It's meaning I'm identifying with you. We're family. You know, we're, we, we can eat the same food. That's a major, major deal. So Jesus invites himself over to, to Matthew's house 
And while he was there having dinner, that that would have been a big deal. Everybody would have watched this and said, what is he doing? But many other tax collectors, because I'm sure they were so curious as to why this rabbi was even paying attention to, to, you know, Matthew. So other tax collectors and sinners, see, they couldn't be categorized in the same thing. I mean, there's, there's sinners and then tax collectors, like they're lower than the low. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Think about this. This is remarkable because everybody has these camps, you know, Jew, Gentile. But then we have these, these, these tax collectors who were lower than a Gentile because they were, our, they were traitors. And yet you wouldn't associate them. Jews wouldn't associate them. Certainly wouldn't go out for dinner with them. And they certainly wouldn't hang out. And a rabbi, well, a rabbi was above. There's, there's rabbis, there's the Pharisees, the rabbis, and then there's the sinners. And then there's tax collectors. And, and the fact that, you know, rabbis wouldn't associate with sinners and they certainly wouldn't be seen with them because, well, I can't be seen with them because that's going to ruin my reputation. And yet Jesus, he's having dinner, inviting a tax collector to follow him. And then, and then sinners gather around. And what's remarkable and convicting to me is that people who were nothing like Jesus wanted to be with Jesus, loved him. And wanted to be with him. And he loved them back. It's, it's amazing. It was shocking for everybody watching. But it's also shocking for Matthew. In Matthew's world. The fact that these guys came. And they had to see and observe. And like if, if he's hanging out with you. Then man he can hang out with us. That's we're allowed. It would have been absolutely shocking. The religious leaders were upset. And we'll get to that in a moment. But they were, they were upset because... Jesus crossed camps and, and he, he went and hung out with and associated with people who weren't like him and were in opposite of him and in the other camp. And the religious were waiting for a Messiah and Jesus claimed that he was a Messiah. And they were angry because they were waiting for a Messiah and they missed him because they were waiting for a Messiah who was just like them. He was just like them in their camp, associating with them. And yet here Jesus was claiming to be Messiah and not not even being a good rabbi. He was associating with the opposite. And Jesus often did the opposite. He made a point of seeking out sinners and befriending them. And he, it's amazing to me because Jesus was not concerned about his own reputation. We often like to join the camps and be proud of the camps we're in. And, and proud to associate with the people that we agree with. And because it because we're concerned about our reputation, what people think of us. Yet Jesus easily crossed over. Verse 11 says this, that when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now the Pharisees, they're the religious Christians of the day. They're God-fearing Jewish men who followed Moses' law, but they were good at one thing. And what they were good at was pointing out sinners. This is how they did ministry. They would point out sin and sinners. And they concluded, Pharisees would conclude, that separating themselves from sinners is what made them holy. That they, you know, there was a behavior that, that they had to please God and that they had to avoid sin and they were proud that they were avoiding sin and they made a display of their righteousness 
and that they and part of that display was that they would not be caught dead or seen associating with a sinner that would be compromised that would be crossing over that would be a dangerous thing to do so when they saw jesus uh, a religious rabbi now not only associating and communicating with a tax collector and a sinner but eating and, and and hanging out with them they were shocked and it was completely outside of their realm now they concluded that separating themselves from sinners was what made them holy and the measurement the measuring stick of their goodness was the badness of the people they rejected see one of the reasons why you know the religious sometimes disassociates itself with sinners is that honestly let's just let's be honest that if somebody is worse off than us and we feel we feel better about ourselves or if somebody is is badder bad english good point uh, if someone is is more of a sinner than us then we feel like we're we're that much better and so there's a times where the natural pull for all of us even as christians today is to say well we're not like or we're you know we're not sinners like and we and we feel like if we point out somebody else's faults then it makes us at least makes us look better but it makes us also feel better and the pharisees were masters at that jesus models something completely different in verse 12 it's jesus overheard the pharisees say you know why you know asking his disciples why is jesus hanging out with them and it says this and on hearing this jesus said it's not the healthy who need uh, a doctor but the sick okay which i i I can kind of picture this you know he's he's saying to the you know to this in earshot of matthew and his the tax collectors and all the sinners gathered around him and he says it's not the healthy need doctor but the sick And and i can imagine matthew looking going hey we're sick man hey high five we're the sick I don't know if that happened or not, but Jesus just, hey, he just states it. But then verse 13, this is very cool. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I think the disciple, the, the Pharisees would have to chew on that one. Desire mercy, not sacrifice. That basically Jesus is saying, Hey, more than your sacrificial rituals, and you have to sacrifice, you know, animals to, to cover your sins, and the, the that's the Moses law, that that the Jewish law, Judaism, you know, have to something has to pay for sin. You have to make sacrifices to avoid and to be. And Jesus is basically saying, no, no, no I'm after mercy more than the elimination of of sin, which the Pharisees are like what? Jesus is saying, hey, I, I want mercy. I want people and he's identifying he wants them to chew on this i want i want relationship with people which is what we talked about last week jesus said this new command i give you love others have mercy and and rather than keep good theology and and be more righteous than somebody else jesus says here i'm after mercy desire mercy not sacrifice then he says for i have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, Paul said in, in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes the Pharisees. That includes the most righteous, best church-going Christian out there. All of us fall short of, of God's standard. So in reality, all of us are not, are, are not part of, uh, of the righteous. Yet, Jesus says, I've, come to, I've not come to call the righteous. What's he talking about? I've not come, to, the better translation would be, I, I have not come to call the self-righteous. 
but I have come to call those who know and identify they are sinners. You see, there's two camps, those who think they are righteous and those who know they are sinners. And then Jesus said, I didn't come to call the so-called righteous. He came to, for those who know they are sinners. So let me ask you this question. Which camp are you in? Because this is important because Jesus is only a friend. Let me say that again. Jesus is only a friend of sinners. Just look at Jesus' life. You could justify what I, what I just read and say, well, that's only just one passage, you know, and Jesus did this and that, all that rest of it. But look at Jesus' life. And just in case you think this is an interpretation of one instance in Jesus' life. I mean, look at his account and how he treated the adulterous woman. Or Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. That means that he was basically the mob boss. Or the thief on the cross. I mean, talk about somebody, you know, condemned outside the camp and in a different camp. Or the prodigal son. Jesus modeled this everywhere. And before we too harshly point a finger and get you know furious at the Pharisees and and the super religious and religions and all the all the rest of it the self-righteous we need to realize and, and recognize and this is convicting for me and I'm sure it will be for you as well that each of us has a Pharisee in here trying to, to get out that really we we all can look into the mirror and there's a Pharisee in the mirror and here's why Here's why I think this is because I've noticed the, the Pharisee in here trying to get out happens easily. And, and one example of that is no sooner do I conquer a bad habit than I'll become the biggest critic of anyone who's still doing what I just stopped doing. For example, if I'm like, okay, I, I'm on a eating plan right now and I, you know, I'm not eating you know, fast food anymore or junk food and all the rest of it, and I'm cutting all that stuff out. The, immediately after I stop and decide I'm not going to do that anymore, immediately I see someone else eat junk food, someone else eat fast food, and I'm like, oh, disgusting. What is wrong with you? And it's, it just, it's, a, it's a thought that immediately comes in. Our, I just stopped doing it. The reality is, is every one of us has the Pharisee in the mirror. Or let's just, if we don't do that, I like to make up my own laws or rules. Maybe you're the same to fit my standard of living then I can judge you by them. And if you follow my rules, you're a good person and welcome in my camp. Because if you break my rules, man, you're gonna be a bad person. And, and Or if you have stricter rules than me, man, you're gonna be, you're a prude who needs to lighten up. I mean, don't we do this? We create camps. And the truth is, is that my rules will distance me, distance me from, from bad people. If I separate myself from sinners or the opposite camp to me, I don't have to deal with them or their pain. I don't have to walk in their shoes or love them or let my heart break with theirs. I can justify rudeness and indifference and separation when my heart should bleed with compassion. Most of all, if I separate myself from bad people, I, I feel better about myself. That's not right. Jesus was so different. Jesus didn't care about scandal. He cared about the scandalous. He didn't come down to their level because they, he came down to their level rather because they could never rise to his. He wasn't out to prove how good he was or how bad they were. He, he, he simply wanted relationship and connection with them 
to offer them hope. Now in this series, we, we talk about, you know, uh, Jesus. And we love Jesus and we, we follow Jesus. But the reality is, church, we need to become more like Jesus. That's what it means to be Christian. It means that we should be Christ-like, just like him. I think people are quick to condemn us Christians and less to condemn Jesus because he was different than us, especially in this way. We can't separate people into two camps, sinners and righteous and Christian or non-Christian. We need to be a lot more like Jesus and only see the two camps that there really are. Those who think they are righteous and those who know they are sinners. And just like Jesus, we're called to reach those who know they are sinners. Because honestly, freedom starts with honesty. We aren't doing ourselves any favors by defining ourselves as good and others as bad. Not at all. Let's just agree that we all need help. No perfect people, we all need help. That we're all in this together. And today's takeaway is this. You don't have to be good to be Jesus's friend. You just have to be honest. Isn't that good? You don't have to be good to be Jesus's friend. You just have to be honest. So just imagine church for a moment that, that we as a church should be a place where a bunch of people who realize we need help get together to love Jesus and encourage one another. And then something happens. We start to change. Who is Jesus? Jesus is my friend. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. And I'm not going to push him away because I think I am or self-righteous. And I want to invite you to make him your friend as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are and that you would love and accept us just as we are. And God, I pray that you'd help us to become more like you. Help us to avoid the temptation to choose camps and sides, but to cross over and be willing to reach out and show mercy rather than sacrifice. Not to worry about the scandal, but to reach out to the scandalous. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we would become more like you. And Lord, the Pharisee in each of us, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see through that, to rid ourselves of that, and to become just like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. It's so cool to, to feel and to know how much God loves us, just the way he found us. You know, and then he encourages us to come along on that journey with him. And as you begin to follow him, you become more like him. But it's not about, it changes you in the way you see others by loving them more. You know, and then your behavior changes because you feel the responsibility of loving people. You just kind of grow into things, right? But I love the fact that he loves us the way he finds us. And if he finds me where I am today, I know that he still loves me. Even what I do today as a pastor. You know, he's not like, okay, you're not keeping up. I'm just following, right? If, If I keep him in the distance, keep seeking after him. And that's what we do each week here. We keep following him and and honest with ourselves and it's easy to be honest when when you have that environment where you can just say no perfect people not as in a like just an excuse but to be able to say yeah I'm still struggling that in that you know I still I still haven't got that man I just can't seem to get that 
you need to be honest with yourself, right? To see where God can take you further and grow your heart bigger and bring more love into your life. Um, it's, a, it's a great journey. And, and we give people an opportunity to join that journey every week by confessing with their mouth. The same way Jesus met Matthew, he just said, follow me. And then he hung out with them. That's all you do is you begin a relationship with them and you start hanging out, right? You start studying what his word says and seeking his love and what type of love he has and it comes into you. It's a neat transition. But it's not something like overnight you're just this you know, this perfect person. You know, there's, there's not... It's, it's beginning to follow. So we're going to say a prayer together here. And if you've never prayed it, or maybe, maybe you knew about a religion that you had to follow. You know, maybe you, you were part of a church where it was all about the rules, and you're like, man, I've never been able to do them all. We see that lots, you guys. A lot of people coming and going, well, what, do, what do you guys, what do you have to do? <laughs> it's like, what do you believe in? In other words, what don't you do to be a Christian? It's like, man, you're missing it. It's a relationship. It's not about what you do. Right? You don't have to be good. You just have to be honest. What's he doing in your heart? So let's pray this together today. Just pray along with me and it's confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and he promises eternal life. It's a big deal. It's a big celebration. So let's just pray this. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. I believe that you died and rose again. I ask you to become my God, my Lord, my Savior. I thank you for forgiving all my sins and my past is gone. I give you my heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I look around and uh, we've got a, a card in the seat there I've decided I'm just going to look around if you want to give me a wave. I'm not going to call you up here, but we do have a Bible. We'd love to get you uh, in the lobby there, just at the Next Step screen in the lobby. And if it's your first time here today as well, I want to encourage you to go out to the new here, just by the tree there. There's a gift there with some little bit of swag in there for you just for joining us. But I'm going to look around. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, you'd be so bold to lift your hand. Just give me a wave or go to that table after. I'm just going to look around. Great. Good job, man. Thank you. Yeah, we're not going to hassle you, but I encourage you to stop by that, that tree and then come back again, right? Come back, keep, keep pursuing him, keep following him. It's the best decision you've ever made. Thank you for joining us today on our My Victory podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out at myvictory.ca. If you'd like to watch our live stream, go to victorylethbridge.tv. 